Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. On today's show, what could the Supreme Court's decision on affirmative action at colleges and universities mean for the state? Then a retirement plan for public employees may see changes in 2024. Plus, emergency responders caution against the use of fireworks this 4th of July weekend. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Supreme Court has handed down a decision that limits the power of affirmative action, a policy that ensures marginalized communities are represented at predetermined levels in higher education. Mississippi was one of the main battleground states for civil rights and integrating institutions of higher learning. James Meredith became the first black man to enroll at the University of Mississippi in 1962, which sparked riots by segregationists. Our Mike McEwen speaks with Matt Steffi, professor of law at the Mississippi College School of Law, about the high court's conservative majority decision. Those who watched the Supreme Court anticipated this decision 100 percent. The current conservative supermajority has marched through hot-button topics since the 6-3 split has solidified. Uh, Before, when it was a 5-4 conservative majority, there was a high level of predictability, but every once in a while, if a position managed to persuade Chief Justice Roberts, Justice Gorsuch, Justice Kavanaugh, then the outcome could shift. But it is exponentially less likely that two justices from the conservative bloc walk across the aisle and join the three more progressive dissenters. That has set the stage for this deciding cases like this one that reach long-term political objectives from uh, in conservative politics. Conservative uh, politicians have campaigned on these issues. They've fundraised on these issues. They have selected judges with the hopes of achieving outcomes like this. So this was absolutely as predictable, even more so, really, than the very predictable Dobbs decision last year. Uh, In fact, many colleges and universities have been uh, at some level preparing for this. And so my understanding from Justice Clarence Thomas's opinion released in regard to this ruling today is that he felt that race-based admissions, for lack of a better term, at universities in the United States was in violation of the 14th Amendment. Could you speak a little bit about what the 14th Amendment sets out and a little bit about Thomas's interpretation of that? 
Chief Justice Roberts wrote for the majority, just as Thomas wrote concurring for himself based on the history of the 14th Amendment, a history that is deeply in dispute. But the 14th Amendment is uh, part of the Civil War and Reconstruction Amendments, the 13th, 14th, and 15th. The 13th banned slavery, uh, the 15th guaranteed voting rights, and the 14th promises equal protection of the laws, and that's the central clause at issue, the equal protection clause. And the real issue has been whether the equal protection clause left or has left or does leave any room for government actors to take actions designed to benefit racial minorities in general and African-Americans in particular. But in the immediate aftermath of the Civil War, race-conscious measures designed to dismantle uh, the legacy of uh, enslavement were, were not uncommon. The argument now, though, is we have outlived the time where these remedial measures are necessary and have instead evolved to a place where the legal standard uh, is appropriately colorblind. That's really the matter in dispute, is whether the 14th Amendment promises a, quote, colorblind society, one that says our past racial history is, uh, racially conscious history is truly in the past, legally speaking. No one disputes that it is at the large social level, the lived experiences of African Americans as a group and white Americans as a group are quite different. That, that African Americans as a group still face uh, the legacy of discrimination, uh, the ongoing effects, the intergenerational effects, although those vary a great bit at the individual level. But as a legal matter, we have evolved to the principle adhered to today that government has to be colorblind in its operations. The dissenting argument was that the 14th Amendment more properly understood as a principle of anti-subordination, where the law can't be used to subordinate racial groups in general and minorities in particular. Uh, but that position uh, is in the dissent. And the dissent tells you what the law isn't. What the majority opinion tells us is that by operation of the Constitution, North Carolina cannot preference African-Americans and other racial minorities as a group and university admissions. The justification for race-conscious admissions is that the educational setting is improved in critical ways by having a diverse student body, and that to achieve that, uh, the racial identity of applicants needed to be taken into account. That was the practice under uh, challenge. That was the position that lost today. So university uh, uh, can no longer say that we are going to make a special effort to recruit and admit African-Americans as a group. For example, instead, uh, their policies have to be colorblind, have to be uh, race neutral. That said, while we can announce a legal principle, we can't erase the impact of race from people's lives. And much of the admissions process is very particularized. And so the differentiation here that the court's final ruling today is setting out is that there cannot be a determination to accept or reject a student based upon race in their application and then marking what race or what ethnicity they are. 
But if they were to speak to those experiences and say an essay or a personal statement, they could? Absolutely. That's exactly what Chief Justice Roberts said. And that's what's often done anyway in many places, including Mississippi, that there's no university, uh, at least uh, as of the last reporting I read, no university that reports giving preferences based on what box you check. But many consider the individual features of an applicant through the essay or statement process. And race can come in that way because for many students, particularly applicants of color. It is impossible to tell their story fully without mentioning how effective race in society affected them too. Matt Steffi is a law professor at Mississippi College School of Law. Coming up, major changes could reshape the state's retirement system for public employees. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Several changes are expected for Mississippi's public employees' retirement system, commonly called PERS. One in ten Mississippians rely on the system for their retirement. Executive Director Ray Higgins tells our Lacey Alexander about the recommendations they're talking about. I've made some recommendations to the board that the board is reviewing now, and it's important to understand that this is uh, very much a, a work in progress, uh, number one, working toward having uh, some final um, suggestions or recommendations or a legislative package prior to next year's session. So it's important to remember it's a work in progress, but it's also very important to know and to remember that any changes uh, to any benefit for current or future members or retirees or anything like that would have to go through the legislative process. So those are just a couple of key points to start off with to make sure that's important to remember. And as far as summarizing what those recommendations are, uh, one deals with the uh, increase in the employer contribution rate consistent with the actuarial recommendations and also recommendations to phase in that cost increase uh, for better planning and, and to work with our employers and, and sponsor in that regard. Uh, and also recommendations around a new benefit structure, sometimes referred to as a Tier 5 for future employees to be hired at some date in the future, and then a category of other recommendations for some better practices that could perhaps uh, assist PERS in the long run as well. If you wouldn't mind elaborating on some of those recommendations, specifically ones that are going to be short-term versus long-term, what those effects are going to look like. The part that's probably being most considered now is phasing in the previously adopted employer contribution rate increase. Uh, But yes, the the contribution rate increase has already been voted on as far as the amount. And uh, uh, as far as the more immediate thing, that's a good segue into answering that question. As far as shorter term or more immediate changes, it is the employer contribution rate increase, which is estimated to, once it's in effect, uh, to bring in uh, approximately $345 million in addition to the system on an annual basis. Uh, more longer term, and the majority of the recommendations that are under consideration now deal with a potential Tier 5, which would be a new benefit structure for employees who have not been hired yet. They would be hired at some date in the future, long-term in nature. And to summarize that, the current recommendation being considered is a choice between a reduced defined benefit, uh, or traditional pension, if you will, very similar to current employees and new employees in PERS, 
or a defined benefit, defined contribution hybrid, which would basically be half the defined benefit or traditional pension with a defined contribution. Think 457 or 401k type plan, uh, hopefully with an employer match. When it comes to these recommended changes, will that affect people who are currently in the PERS system or people that will uh, enroll in the future? Uh, it depends on which aspect we're looking at or talking about, but the part I was just describing and the primary part of the recommendations right now are people who would enroll in the future, those that have not even been hired yet uh, going to some date in the future. So in the framework of your question, for those that would enroll at a later time. What would change for people that are currently in, in the system in that way? Okay, most or all of what I just said previously wouldn't, wouldn't apply to people who are currently in the system now, and of course, the employer contribution rate, uh, although very, very important, that's, that doesn't have a direct impact on your benefit structure or anything. There are a few other recommendations that could potentially affect, try to recall them on the future. We are considering the possibility of allowing existing members who are not yet vested to um, go to a four-year vesting, assuming it's funded. Uh, that's, that's one thing that's, that's under consideration. There are a few other things that, and the, uh, the, other, the other thing that comes to mind is a recommendation to consider and pursue legislation uh, to require or at least default to the monthly COLA for future retirees. Now, in this particular item, it would not be to decrease a benefit. It would just be to require or at least default to the monthly option for the cost of living benefit for future retirees. So that's one. So those are two that come to mind that uh, could perhaps have, depending on how it unfolds, could have uh, uh, somewhat of an impact on existing members. But the earlier summary was mainly for future employees. One of the largest groups of public employees that could be affected are teachers. Kelly Riley is executive director of Mississippi Professional Educators. She says PERS Benefits Hour are a powerful recruiting tool for public schools across the state. Riley says those proposed changes could reshape how that system works for future recruiting. With the state's current defined benefit plan, the the large crux of responsibility is with the state, the employer, whereas with a defined contribution plan, um, the you know more of the responsibility and and liability per se for performance of um, the plan would rest with the individual state employee, including educators. And of course, you know, I guess um, a red flag to me for defined contribution plans has always been that teachers are teachers. They wear a lot of hats. They are counselors. They are nurses. But they are not investment advisors or financial specialists. Don't know if if there would be a significant rate of return in the long run for any new state employees that did choose that defined contribution plan. So, you know, of course, we are very interested in this because it's my understanding that there are some changes that um, are possibly being considered that would also impact current employees and current retirees, most notably that there could be some changes to the cost of living adjustment or the COLA as it's commonly referred. And of course, the the COLA is a very politically sensitive topic. And anytime you mention it, that's that's a red flag and, and it grabs everyone's attention. Coming up, emergency responders caution against using fireworks this 4th of July weekend. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB. 
Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, host of the original Southern Remedy, the show where I answer your medical questions. Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The 4th of July is reported to be the most dangerous day of the year to drive. And emergency responders are urging Mississippians to use extra caution around fireworks. Jim Pollard is a spokesperson for the ambulance service AMR. He talks about both being safe on the road and how to be safe using fireworks. Fireworks can be beautiful and a lot of us think they're fun, but we have to remember fireworks are explosives and they are always dangerous. So we urge folks to uh, simply don't uh, have uh, your own backyard fireworks display. The best way to enjoy fireworks is at a professionally produced show. What are some of the common dangers that people might face with fireworks? I know a lot of people go out and buy the consumer-grade ones that they can shoot in their backyard, like you mentioned. Uh, Are there any major risks that you know of? There are risks with uh, even the conventional, uh, commonly available fireworks. Sometimes, somehow, folks get their hands on um, major fireworks, such as those uh, that are shot from mortars at uh, big public festivals, uh, that's just so dangerous. Don't do that. Just get rid of those things. Dispose of them if you come across any, somehow come into possession of them. But there are a couple of uh, particular fireworks that we have uh, major concerns about. Any firework is potentially dangerous, but Bottle rockets and sparklers, we really like to call folks' attention to those hazards. Bottle rockets are particularly dangerous to the eyes. They're essentially unguided missiles that blast off up to 200 miles per hour. You don't know where they're going, uh, and it's just really a huge risk to take uh, to blast those things off uh, in your backyard or or some other uh, private space. Um, I was on my deck many years ago when my daughter was a toddler, and some kids shot a bottle rocket off about from the street about 30 miles. Excuse me. (laughs) I was on my deck some years ago when I... We also discourage folks from using sparklers. We tend to think of sparklers as essentially harmless, uh, but they're not. Uh, sparklers, believe it or not, burn at up to 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That's as hot as a blowtorch. They can inflict some really nasty burns, and they can stay hot long after uh, they've stopped sparkling. So if you're going to take the risk with uh, sparklers, uh, best way to use them is plant them in the ground, light them there, then get away from them. Uh, don't uh, ever let anyone hold more than one sparkler at a time, and uh, make sure that children uh, particularly little kids never hold uh, any sparkler. Uh, adults should not ever hold a child with a sparkler in his or her hand because it's so easy for the child to reach around with that sparkler and touch the, the adult's back or arm. And again, the burns can be really awful. I think another one that we've talked about in the past is Roman candles, the ones that 
specifically the ones that don't have the peg that you can stick them in the ground. Um, are, what kind of dangers could those pose? Well, it's, it's easy when you have a device like those in your hand to get distracted and turn around and suddenly you're shooting the Roman candle uh, explosives at somebody. You can hit them in the eye or elsewhere. You could potentially ignite clothing. Uh, it's uh, really not a device we recommend, um, and it's just more hazardous than folks uh, tend to believe uh, than they tend to be aware. Uh, best thing is just don't take any risk with any fireworks in your backyard or other personal space. Uh, make sure that you're away from roofs and other uh, parts of uh, structures that could catch on fire. Um, a lot of uh, fires occur during uh, July 4th uh, that were started by fireworks. Uh, you want to make sure you keep a, a water hose or a bucket of water handy. Uh, and all of these tips, of course, are if you take the chance of having your own uh, fireworks display. And uh, make sure you never point or throw a device at someone. Never place any part of your body uh, over a firework uh, device that you're lighting or has been lit. If one is a dud, for goodness sake, never go back and try to light a dud uh, because that thing can still go off. Um, in, in case of injuries, uh, particularly burns, uh, cover the burns with a dry dressing. Call 911 for uh, paramedics such as from AMR immediately. A substantial percentage of injuries from fireworks are injuries to the eye, something on about a, about 25% of fireworks injuries. But fireworks can also cause, especially for little fingers and little hands, it can cause amputations, lifelong disfigurement, uh, life, lifelong disability. Think twice and stay away from uh, personal use of fireworks. I also wanted to talk about another some, one of the major dangers of the 4th of July holiday, and that would be drunk driving. It is often considered one of the most dangerous holidays for being on the roads. I wanted to get your perspective from the emergency responder side of things. What would your message be to Mississippians who are going to be on the roads that night? And in the day. Um, yeah, yes, yes, in the end of the day. Throughout the day, right. You don't want to see what your paramedics see related to drunk driving uh, lives uh, just snuffed out often far too early. Uh, we want folks to be uh, truly safe drivers throughout the July 4th weekend, uh, all throughout the holiday. Uh, it's not just for the drunk drivers uh, either, Kobe, but for anyone behind the wheel uh, because there's so many folks who are traveling so far uh, that it's easy to wind up in a motor vehicle crash with serious consequences uh, over July 4th. Uh, key tips uh, would be, first of all, never let anybody uh, who has been drinking even one beer get behind the wheel. Uh, even one beer, depending upon your physical condition, uh, can interfere with your judgment and your reflexes always have a designated driver, someone who drinks zero alcohol behind the wheel. Alcohol in general just doesn't mix with July 4th activities, fireworks, water sports, barbecuing, and so on. Uh, really be cautious, uh, doubly cautious, and try to just generally keep alcohol out of the danger zone with any of these activities, if at all possible. 
Jim Pollard is a spokesperson with the Ambulance Service AMR in Central Mississippi. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.